You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I want to preach to you this morning a sermon that I've entitled The X-Factor Family. The X-Factor Family. If you were here with us last Sunday night, we were privileged to have Pilgrim's Ministries with us. And if you don't know anything about Pilgrim's Ministry, Pilgrim's Ministry is right here in our local community. And they're here to help men who have alcohol or drug addiction problems through an intensive discipleship program. And they had 15 to 16 men last Sunday night that came up and gave testimony to what God had been doing through their lives. And I don't know if you noticed this, and I, and I was aware of the sermon I was coming to preach next Sunday, but one of the things that I paid attention to, I don't know if you remember this, how many of them, came to the lectern to give their testimony, and they almost, almost all of them started off in a very similar fashion. I grew up in a good Christian home. Did you notice that, those who were with me? And with gentleness and respect, I despaired. Do you catch that? Um, if you're growing up in a good Christian home, I'm not saying this is the, the end result, But something's missing. I really believe that. Uh, That doesn't mean that children don't grow up to make their own choices. Everyone knows that. But is a good Christian home the best option? And my contention apparently is no. I think there must be something better than just a good Christian home. And let me go ahead and define for you what I believe they mean by a good Christian home. And with gentleness and respect, I think most of us grew up in the following type home. Parents who work 8 to 10 hours a day to provide for their children. Children who went to a public or a private school, received a good education, There was probably extracurricular activities involved. Nothing wrong with that. Sports, scouts, music, dance lessons. We just got Scotty enrolled in gym, so I'm a part of this. Parents chauffeur their children and support their children from one activity to the next. Meals may happen together. There may be little in-depth conversation Kids go to their different rooms, probably nowadays to their different devices. I'm guilty. There's probably time for church. Maybe two out of every four weeks they come, which is good by most standards. There's no regular family devotion time, though, in the home. And no family member is engaging in deep spiritual conversation. Here's what I want you to think about. While there are no sinful activities going in this home, 
There's nothing immoral or unethical. My contention is this. I believe it is wholly possible to make your home physically, emotionally, and mentally safe, and yet it be spiritually lethal and dangerous. I'm going to repeat it. I think it is highly possible, wholly possible, to make your home physically, emotionally, and mentally safe, and yet it be highly dangerous, lethal, to their spiritual upbringing and condition. You say, what do you mean by that? And that's what I'm calling the X factor. That's what I believe is missing in our homes. What is the X factor is the question today. Paul tells us here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We're going to read it together. And then I'm going to give you the two choices that every family has to make. And it's by two different parties within the family. Let me go ahead and ask you this. How many, how many children do I have here today? Raise your hand. All, right. all hands should be raised up, okay? You're all kids at some point. So let me go here. Everyone's like, yes. Let me ask you this, though. If you're a kid and you live at home in some capacity with your parents. Let's see your hands. Okay, don't be shy. Thank you for being here today. Okay, you're a part of the church. You're not the future, you're now. And then where's all my parents that have kids right now in the home? All right, that's us. And then how many of you have, have children who are out on their own? And they're like, it's the sigh of relief, right? Okay. Some of you are like, that's actually worse, Josh. Okay. We're going to talk to every dynamic. Let's read the Apostle Paul. This is the words of Jesus through the Apostle Paul to us, his church, his bride. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. And all the parents said, amen. amen. Kids, get ready. This is your chance coming up right after this one. I'm giving you your cue. Verse 4, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And all the kids said, Amen. Good. It may be my favorite part throughout this whole sermon. Choice and clue number one about the secret to families. The X factor. Children, I want to speak to you first. Children, obey and honor your parents. That's what this text is teaching. Obey and honor your parents. Now, in case you wonder what the word obey means, it means obey. Do as they say. Now, I know it is possible because parents are not perfect that they can ask and give directions that are highly unreasonable at times. Okay, I'm getting head. Y'all should see the kids listening right now. Yay, bless God. Amen. I may run around one time. That's, do what you got to do. 
I do want you to know, I'm just going to call you kids, all right? I'm, I'm a big kid, really. Obedience, though, is not blind obedience. This scripture is not saying do whatever your parents say because it is possible for your parents to ask you to do something unbiblical. Acts 5.29, this is the Apostle Peter speaking to the governing authorities. said, we must obey God rather than men, human beings. So while your mom and dad have the authority in the home, there is a higher authority that your parents must give account to. That's the Lord Jesus Christ and the words he's spoken. I do want you to know, children, though, that this context in which this verse is written is written to Christian parents. And I'm not saying a Christian parent in the sense that you have grown up in America and you've went to church all your life. I'm talking about a person who's turned from their sins and trusted Christ alone as their Savior. And they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I sincerely believe parents, moms and dads who repent of their sins and trust Christ as their Savior do not want to give you any direction that's outside of what the Lord Jesus wants for your life. And so you can obey them wholly. Look at the word, though, also in the next verse, in verse 2. It switches from obeying your parents to what's, what's the command in, in verse 2? Honor. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky for kids. And I was this kid. In case you weren't, was Josh a perfect child? Mark Taylor could stand up and testify, absolutely not. Because maybe I would obey, but I wouldn't obey with honor. And parents, this is when you get to nod your head. Parents, you got a kid at home that'll do what you say, but they huff and puff the whole way? That's my Scotty. <laughs> they don't have a proper attitude to their parents. They pout. Even worse, they talk back. Okay? When your when parents, when I mean children, when your parents give you a biblical direction, obey it, listen to them, and honor them for doing this. And I want you to know, and this is where I want to talk to the kids who are outside the house. While I think this is, these directions are for those inside the home under the authority of mom and dad, I do want you to know the Bible is replete with children, even adult children, who pay honor and homage to their parents. Let me go ahead and let you know this. According to the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, the elderly, especially the widows, should never be a burden to the church financially. You know why? Because good, godly men take care of their old mom and dads. Okay? And I submit that to you with gentleness and respect. I don't mean tuck them away somewhere where they're not a problem anymore. All right? They raised you and put up with your stuff. You can take care of them when they get older. And I know that's easier said than done. And I want to tell you, any Christian woman or man who takes the time to cherish and honor their parents in their older years, thank God for you. You're obeying what the Spirit has put in the Word. Okay? But I want you to see that honor, that honor to our parents extends to them throughout their whole life. Throughout their whole life. Notice the chief, one of the chief motivations kids as to why you obey your parents you look at this it says it says honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise hey there's a promise in this you actually get something good out of obeying mom and dad it says so that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life in the land now kids i don't know about you but i'm okay with having a good life 
and a long life. Now, there's a couple things about that. That does not mean, that does not mean that if we'll just obey our parents, no tragedy will ever befall us. That's not what this text is saying. And while I do believe when we obey God, when we honor our parents and obey God, I do believe God can supernaturally bless a kid's life. I think it's possible. But can I give you just some practical wisdom for a moment? Your Christian parents have been there, done that. When they give you a direction, generally it's not arbitrary. It's for your well-being, for your peace, for your prosperity, for your health. Do you get that? So think about this. If your parents are looking out for your betterment and you choose to dishonor and disobey them, you are putting your life at risk. Do you see that? That God in His great wisdom puts you under these parents to say, they've lived life. They recognize what's going on. We talked in our Sunday school class today. I didn't want to say this because I wanted to talk about it here. We asked the question, where do you get wisdom? Well, there's three places according to my dad. Dad told me in James chapter 1, you can ask God for wisdom and He will give it and not hold it back. Ain't that good? He says, and the other two ways, according to Proverbs, you can get wisdom. You can learn the hard way. Anybody got wisdom that way? Or you can do what I tell you to do. You know why? Because Dad learned the hard way. And he said, I can help you bypass the hard way if you'll obey me. Think about the book of Proverbs. My son, listen to me. My son, listen to me. I'm trying to help you. Kids, they're not out to get you. They're not just out to spoil your fun. They actually want to make sure you have a peaceful, prosperous, long life in the land. That's a Christian parent's motivation. So children, obey and honor your parents. But that's just one choice, one clue as to the X factor in the family. Look at the next one, and it's in verse 4. Write this down in your notes. Parents, I'm going to speak to both of you for a minute because I know you said this says fathers, and I'm going to discuss that. Parents, do not provoke, but provide for your children. Do not provoke, but provide for your children. Now, this is what's important. It is obvious in the text that both mom and dad have a duty to instruct and direct children. You know why? It says children obey your what? Parents in the plural. Mom and dad. Honor your mother and your father. Both and. I believe while Paul is isolating fathers, again goes back to how we understood even marriages. That the husband or the father in the house is the authority of the house. Okay, And I will say it this way, fathers, it is your responsibility and privilege to do the things in this text. Now that's, there's a couple of things I want to preface with this with. If you're a single parent mom, right, I believe this, this imperative, this injunction is for you. Whoever is the head of the household, you're responsible for these things. But I will tell you this, even in my own household, while I am, I am predominantly responsible for the training and discipline of Scotty and baby too, okay? My wife and I have to be on the same page, right? 
So I want to encourage you, moms and dads, if, if you're arguing, which we talked, you, talked about last week, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's going to fight. It's just a matter of how you fight. You've got to fight fair. But please get on the same page about how you're going to train your children and discipline your children. Okay? And let your husband lead in that. But husbands, don't do it without the absolute approval of your wife going, yes, I see you. I'll follow you there. And I also want to tell the men, though, in our church, please, while you need to take this sermon seriously, like, oh, it's a sermon about family. Family is the grounds by which church leaders emerge. You will never be an elder or a deacon with a family that's mismanaged. Okay? You say, well, maybe I can just prove myself at church. This is just one big family. If you can't control what's under your house, you can't contain what's in this eight walls. Trust me. So it's got to happen in your home before it happens out in the church, in the community. This is vitally important. Now look at the word here, not to stir them up or provoke your children. There's a number of ways in which parents can provoke their kids. I think one of the chief ways is we compare them to other kids. Won't you, little Scotty, be like little Johnny? And I have told you all this before, and I'll say it again. You know, little Johnny's advantages is that he's got different parents than little Scotty. So every time you go to compare your kid to another kid, you just remember you're not as good as a parent as you think either. Okay? So we can't sit there and compare our kids. God has given them uniquely to us. And that's a good thing. I'm glad. I know there's nobody else like my Scotland. <laughs> okay? When you discipline them inconsistently, you'll provoke them. When they're sitting there for one, one time they do one thing, and the next time you don't notice or give any attention to it, you know what you're doing to them? You're confusing them. And sometime down the road, it's going to establish this where they go, I don't know what mom and dad's asking of me. It'll provoke them to anger. When you fail to express love and approval, I know we kind of live in this society where there's no winners or losers, but I want my Scotland to know that no matter her performance, whether it's at home, at gym, at school, that I adore her either way. And I think every man and woman in here is better off when they are assured of their parents' love. Please, please, especially Christian men, you get down on your knee, you look your kids in the eyes, and you tell them, I love you, period. They need to know that deep in their soul. And then another way which we can provoke them, which almost seems counterintuitive, I do think it's possible to overprotect your children. I know in a crowd this size, we got some of them helicopter parents. <laughs> Like your kid, <laughs> kids, don't shake your head. That's not a time to say amen, all right? If you have an overprotected mom and dad sitting right beside you. But even our overprotection can provoke them. You say, what's the big deal? Because let me say this. Are you ever going to discipline or teach your child something that they're going to be angry about? Oh, yeah. That's going to happen. But here's what I think happens over the long haul. If you continually provoke your children, listen to what Kostenberger said. Just listen to this. If anger is prolonged, Satan will seek to exploit the familial discord to further his own ends. 
If anger is prolonged, I'm getting head nods because this is important. Your kid stays mad at you, that anger quickly will turn to rebellion. And the next thing you know, they'll do what the devil tells them to do. Don't let the devil have a foothold in your family because you're overbearing and overprotective. There's got to be times where you let them have fun, you let them create the chaos. <laughs> they're kids. And children need to know they're loved. Think about it, and I'm not, this is not a raise of hand. How many adults are sitting in our church right now that are bitter and estranged from their parents because of anger? Some of you may be saying, you're grown adults, or you still say, my daddy makes me so angry. My mama makes me so angry. And I'm not saying that's all your fault. I know there's, there's two parties at this. But the, the direction here is given so that hopefully we can remedy that. We can remedy that. When our children fail, here's the one that I'm, I'm afraid of the most. I'm a perfectionist. That when our children fail, uh, fail. I want Scotty and baby too <laughs> to know that they can come to me and be welcome like Jesus. Come on to me. I know uh, you disobeyed. You didn't do what I told you to do. I got it. But I want you to know there's always home. There's always love here. There's always forgiveness here. Please know that. Don't provoke them. Here's what's the interesting. Not only should we have a negative here, as in don't provoke them. We have a positive command, which says here to bring them up. Bring them up. See that in the text? Now, if you'll just turn maybe a page over in your Bible and look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. I just want to point out something in the text. It says this, for no one ever hates his own flesh. He's talking about husbands loving themselves, like as far as self-care. But provides and cares for it just as Christ does the church. Now, notice this. So a husband normally cares for himself. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, but a Christian husband extends that same self-care to his wife. Every grace and mercy and provision he'll allow for himself, he must allow for him his wife. Now, here's what's even more amazing. I just saw this for the first time this week, and I've preached out of Ephesians 6 a time. That same bring up your children, and the word provides is the exact same in the Greek. I want you to see this. I think this is a beautiful image. <laughs> this is so good. So a Christian husband extends that self-same care to his wife, and then to who? His kids. He gives them the same graces, mercies, provisions that he allows himself. It goes through the whole family. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Because I can tell you right now, hey, it's a happy life when the whole family's taken care of. It redounds to our advantage, men, when we lead them well. But I do want you to notice the two arenas that we must provide for. You're going to have to make an intentional choice. We're not just to bring them up physically, mentally, or emotionally safe. It says here in the text, you have to do what? Train and instruct them where? In the Lord. In the Lord. So there's two areas in which you're to provide. The first one, and you can, depends on your translations, is going to be talking about training or disciplining. This is not just punishment for punishment's sake or punishment for a past mistake. I need to talk about your motivation for why you would choose to punish your children. When you punish your children, the intention is to help a child improve his or her choices in conduct. 
It's so that they will not make the same mistake again. But harboring over past mistakes and holding that against your child doesn't get them anywhere. Once that mistake or that sin or or disobedience is identified and any kind of punishment takes place, I do think it differs by child and temperament. There are certain kids you can just look at the wrong way and you just broke them. And then you got kids like Scotty. Past couple of days, she's been asking me instead of mama, which is fine, daddy, help me brush my teeth. Fair enough. So I go in there, don't realize how much chaos this is going to be for the last four nights. I get in there, I get the toothbrush wet, put the toothpaste on it, get it wet again. That's the only way to do this, right? And so I start brushing her teeth, and she makes noises and sounds and faces. That part is cute and adorable, but in a flash, ladies and gentlemen, in a flash. I thought it would be cute. She's got this little cup. I mean, it's like this big. I was like, you know, Scotland, do you want to take a drink of water? Yes. So I put just a little bit. I mean, y'all, this is, this is like communion field. You know what I'm talking about? I hand it to Scotty. Scotty puts it in her mouth, and I'm watching her. The next thing you know, everywhere. And I was like, okay, okay, my bad. I didn't tell her that's not what you do with it. So night number two, same process goes back around. No, Scotland, listen to me. Daddy's going to give you a drink of water. I don't want you to spit that water out everywhere. So she takes a drink a little longer this time, a little longer this time. I was like, okay, she surely has drank this water by now. <laughs> little did I know. We turned out of the bathroom, <laughs> spits it on the floor. I ain't gonna lie, I had to spank her. Scotty, I told you in advance not to do this. Third night, all right, I fixed it this. I know I got to train her different. All right, Scotland, you take your drink of water. And then I said this. Then, Scotty, after you finish, I want you to open your mouth so I can see that it's gone. (laughs) Open your mouth. And the water just came out. (laughs) Needless to say, when tonight happens, I'm just not going to give her any water. She's not ready for it yet. (laughs) Because it's testing me. I I can't do this. So it's a give and take. You learn. You learn. I like what Vody Bauckham says. Loving reproof. Let me restate that. (laughs) Loving reproof seeks the child's best, not the parent's convenience. That's Christian discipline. Oh, isn't it easy? I just want you to listen to me. Just do what I tell you to do. No. I'm trying to get the best out of you. I've thought about this. One of the chief motivations for why we discipline our children, I've heard this said and I've used it before, is we say things like this. Well, you're going to grow up in a society and there will be consequences for your actions. First of all, I'm very skeptical sometimes at how slow the wheels of justice turn. Sometimes you don't get responsible for your actions. But here's what I can teach you. Here's what you can bake on, and I think is a better motivation for why every parent should discipline their children. As I think every parent in here longs for their child to repent of their sins and trust Christ as their Savior. And when they become a Christian, I want you to know this. They'll be under the authority of a Heavenly Father who loves them and will discipline them. Did you catch me? 
some of your children's first pictures of understanding who God is is how you relate to them as a parent because he relates to them that way. Go read Hebrews chapter 12. Just look at this verse. Hebrews 12, 11. Write it down. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time. And I may be reading this wrong. I know it doesn't seem enjoyable for the recipient. But I just have to say this. I don't think it's enjoyable for the father either. I think the heavenly father goes, if you would just obey me, I wouldn't do this. But painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see that? The Heavenly Father will allow things to happen in our lives to get us to a place of obedience and it will yield peaceable fruit of righteousness, well-being, what He wants us to do. That's who we're modeling for them. We're modeling for them, the Heavenly Father's discipline. Can I talk about one other area that you need to train your children in, in our day and age. And I just labeled it this way, and you can put it, it's becoming some of, somewhat of a fad, but there's truth to it. It's digital discipleship. Digital discipleship. This addresses the explosion of the technological use. Your children will grow up with devices in reach, if not already in their pockets. I want you to know this, parents, and I'm, I'm here to wake you up. If you don't get anything from me, there's probably two statements. Uh, you got to get this one and one that's coming. If you are not monitoring and filtering every single device in your home, you're stupid. I love you, but you're stupid. And it's not that I don't trust your kids or I don't trust you. I don't uh, trust the unbelieving culture around us. Do you understand me? They would love for your kids to get addicted to the junk on there because that is money for life for them. And let me go ahead and tell you get one more step for you. Don't use the free filtering and monitoring stuff on the internet that's provided. It's free for a reason. It doesn't work. Mom and dad, if your kid's innocence means anything to you, pay 60, 100, I think you can come up with a million dollars if you needed to to keep your kid away from that junk. Do you hear me? Buy the good stuff and filter and monitor everything. And let your kid know, look, look, hey man, I'm not saying I don't trust you. I mean, seriously. I don't trust what's out there. What's out there. And remember, mom and dad, you're paying for the Wi-Fi anything. Anyways, just shut it down. It becomes a problem. Save your kids. Now, we have to do some positive instruction. You're not just training and discipline. It's sad, but many parents will acknowledge probably in this room that most of their communication with their children is what not to do. You understand, you have to instruct them in what to do. Here's the one, the second statement that I can't let you walk away with. This is from Donald Whitney in his book on family worship. He said this, most of our, he's talking about the church's best men do not even pray with their wives, which we established that last week. 55% of men don't pray with their wives and children if they have them, much less lead them in 10 minutes or so of worship as a family. This is moms, dads, you have got to have a regularly, whether it's every night or once a week, a time when your kids hear you 
reading the Bible to them and teaching them the gospel and these great Christian doctrines. George Barna's survey had found that 90% of self-identified, self-identified born-again Christian families do not have family devotions at least once a week. Nine out of every ten families at Mount Carmel once a week does not sit down as a family and just have ten minutes of reading the word to one another. Think of this, George Swinock. This is, this is hard, this is heavy for some of you. It says, the speediest way to turn your children into swords to wound you is to suffer them for the want of pious education, Christian education, to wander from God and his word. If I had some of our parents stand up and give testimony to their child who went away from the church and the word, they'll tell you it's probably the most hurtful thing. And what I need you to know, and again, kids will make their choices. I'm not saying you're responsible for them. What I want you to do, I want you to be able to stand before your heavenly father and say, I did everything that was at my disposal to keep them from that. I can tell you I live in a household where there is one of ten. I had a daddy. This is the Bible. He read from us. Read to us. You understand that? I mean, this man was like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and depending on how football went, you might have got this too. (laughs) We'd read through the Bible in a year. I mean, yeah, we read through the book of Leviticus. I tell that to people. And it's not so much that I can remember everything that we read from. It was this. It was the discipline and the habit he was creating in me and my sister's lives. And it was knowing that my dad didn't just talk while he was a deacon and a Sunday school teacher and a great leader in our church. He meant it, and it took place in the home. This, this is the second one. We, the first one he told me the other day, we saw him. He's like, I couldn't even get the first one. It's fallen all together. This is the stuff you'll cherish. Your kids will appreciate this more than anything else you can give them in the world. It's possible. You say, Josh, it's going to be awkward. Yes, that's leadership. Honestly, it scared me. I was like, man, I don't know if I got anything. Like, Scotty ain't going to sit here and listen to four verses, just four verses, not four chapters. And I went to Holcomb's the other day, this little Christian bookstore in Cornelia, and they've, they've even gotten savvy to this. They took that same kind of Bible and did a one-year preschooler edition. This is great. It's one paragraph, like, I got a chance. Other night we sat down, and it was just so good. It just talked about the moon and the stars. And I said, Scotty, you know who made those moons and the stars? And she just kind of looked. I said, God did. That's just instructing your kids. My favorite one, we're about to go to sleep, and it just said, you know, God stays up, and he watches us while we sleep. And, I, and yeah, there's times, like, she was already running around, right? <laughs> we just do our best to get through it. I'm just trying to train and discipline her. And I know, I trust that her mama will do it if I'm not able to be there. We're on the same page about it. And Scotty has heard probably ever since she's been born. I say this, everything, and I include it in your prayer, God. Help us to love Scotty. Help us to raise her right. And may she grow up to love you. I want that to resound through her ears. If you don't believe the word of God, and I'm not trying to appeal to a lower authority because it is the highest authority. I found this study. It's called Nothing Less, Engaging Kids in a Lifetime of Faith. 
nothing less engaging kids in a lifetime of faith. And was talking about kids who were raised in Christian homes with Christian parents who continued in the faith past when they got out of the home and they were serving in their local churches with vibrant Christian families. So you see what I'm saying? A lifetime of faith. There's ten things that they identified in these families, but I want to just give you the first five things. What five things were Christian parents doing for their children that, that seemed to produce, now they have to take ownership of it, but it seemed to produce lifelong faith? Listen to this. Number one, that child regularly read the Bible. Now, again, think about this. Does that mean Scotty's going to go pick up a Bible on her own? Right? And just start reading it. No, that meant at some point, mom and dad were involved in them regularly reading the Bible. Number two, that child regularly spends time in prayer. I don't expect Scotland to come and get us to go pray. What? We pray with Scotland. We pray with Scotland. The other day, I actually caught her mumbling while we were praying. I was like, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Third, the child regularly served in church. Served in church. Fourth, the child listens primarily to Christian music. Now, I know some of us can't stand Southern gospel and contemporary Christian music, but you need to at least get this in deep in your soul. Your music, whether you intend it or not, is teaching your kids something. And so saturate them with the gospel even going down the road. And then number five, the child participates in church mission trips and projects. Now here's the thing I found so amazing in just those top five. And I am an advocate for Christian school. I'm a product of it. That didn't appear there. Think about this, number two. Church attendance did not appear there. See, those things are given. They're given. All right? Wanting to see that they receive a good education and that they attend in church, you need to see there's a higher level of expectations. I bet you if I went back and asked those Pilgrim Ministries men, hey, did your daddy sit you down and read the Bible with you regularly every week? I bet they look at me and go, no. Did they pray with you every day? No. Did you serve in the local church when you were a teenager or a kid? No. Did you listen to Christian music at all? No. Did you ever serve on a mission project or in a regular capacity? No. We're talking about getting them to the gospel. So what's the X factor? Is it just obedience to parents? Is it just parents not provoking your children but providing for them? Notice both of these verses. Look at verse 1 again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Look at verse 4. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but train them up, in, uh, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The X factor is Jesus. The X factor is Jesus. I think it's actually possible to have quote unquote a Christian home and Jesus have nothing to do with it. Yes, they're physically safe. Yes, they're mentally safe. Yes, they're emotionally safe. But what is their exposure to Jesus? 
See, the beauty of when Jesus is the primary, when Jesus is the center of the home, he is the example for everyone, he is the motivation for everyone, he is the empowerment for everyone. Children, when you obey your parents, you are worshiping the Lord Jesus. Fathers, when you teach and discipline your children, you are worshiping the Lord Jesus. This is your salvation at work. This is the Spirit of God manifesting Himself in your family when these things are getting done. I don't think Christians, in name only, can do what's commanded of this Scripture if Jesus is at Lord of every area of their life even their family. Russell Moore said this, a Christianity that puts family first will soon find itself uncomfortable with Jesus. Now listen to that. A Christianity that puts family first, because we like to say that, family first, I think what you'll do, if you have a Christianity that just puts family first, you'll have, again, a safe, mentally, physically, emotional home. But it will be spiritually lethal and dangerous because Jesus is Lord. He is first. We obey our parents because it pleases Jesus. We don't provoke our children. We build them up and provide for them. And we train them in righteousness. Why? Because it pleases our Lord. When He's at the center, when He has the preeminence, everything else will fall in the line. A Christianity that puts family first will soon find itself uncomfortable with Jesus. And Jesus is the X factor in our families. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.